Happy Hordays, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the show covering horror movie franchises, one movie and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian. Oh, wait, god damn it. I've already screwed this up. <laughs> Ugh, you caught me. I am not. In fact, Mike Snoonian, our dearly beloved intrepid leader, is actually taking the day off, and he has graciously allowed me, Rachel Reeves, to step in as host. And there's a good reason for this, as today we are covering a film that Mike discussed many moons ago on the Patreon. I think it was the Patreon, pretty sure. Uh, But we figured it was worth revisiting. It is the season after all. So the movie we're going to be discussing today is Krampus from 2015. But thankfully, I do not have to trudge through the snow or battle murderous killer gingerbread men alone i am joined by one of my fellow co-hosts and he is also a co-host of the disenfranchised podcast it's mr stephen foxworthy so say hi stephen and tell us your first time meeting krampus the movie and what you thought about it well guten krampusnacht rachel amazing Uh, (laughs) yes I practiced that for like a week. Um, so good job. That off. That, that yeah. is, it's not the extent of my German, but I, I will just we'll call it the extent of my German for All now. Right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I like like most Americans uh, became familiar with the the concept of uh, Krampus in uh, 2014 uh, when uh, Christoph Waltz was interviewed on the Jimmy Fallon uh, Tonight Show. <laughs> And um, I, I will get into that a little later, actually, with your Please permission. Do. Yes. Um, but um, this this movie was one of like a slew of horror movies and like horror stuff that kind of popped up around that time. And I missed it at the time because I wasn't really big on horror at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me it took me a couple of years to kind of ease into it. But um, I missed it then. Uh, and it's kind of always been on my radar, just kind of one of those that I wanted to see. Uh, so I actually watched it uh, yesterday for the first time and then watched it again uh, this morning, getting ready for as I was making a brunch, uh, getting ready for this recording. And uh, I'm not sure 100 percent how I feel about it, but I it is a, a fascinating movie that I am really excited to talk about. Yeah. Oh, good. We can work through it together. Right. On. Um, OK, so for me, it's funny. I knew about the idea of Krampus before the movie came out, the record store I worked at for a really long time, the owner, she just loved this. And so every holiday we would just have like tons of Krampus merchandise that she Mm -hmm. would find. So there'd be like the cards and and, like anything, ornaments, whatever, like she would bring in tons of Krampus stuff. And so that was kind of like my first introduction to it and learning a little bit about it was just through her because she was a big fan of it. And then when the movie came out, I was like, yes, like, of course. And 
I did not see it in, like when it made its theatrical run for whatever reason, but saw it pretty soon after that. I think probably when it got released physically, I mm-hmm. uh, got the Blu-ray and stuff. And I mean, I love this film and I, I know that it's got kind of mixed reviews and like people have a lot of mixed feelings on that. But honestly, I, I just I don't understand what some of the issues are that people have with it. Because I'm like, you guys, this is so fun. Uh, but this is also speaking from somebody who has like a giant like gremlins tattoo so on my legs <laughs> big old picture of gizmo oh you're wearing your steven is wearing a amazing <laughs> gizmo sweater so that is seat perfect um so this is right up my alley so cannot wait to get into this with you yeah i am i'm excited to talk about this i i had a lot of thoughts as i was watching this movie the first time and then a lot of thoughts as i was watching it the second time yeah i don't i will say i don't dislike this movie i had a lot of fun with this movie if nothing else this movie is just everybody is having a blast yes um so there so there is that but i don't know quite what to make of it in in some other ways so gotcha i look forward to getting into it and uh of course, me being who I am, I was playing like spot the reference or spot the uh, <laughs> yeah. like spot the homage throughout this pretty much this entire movie. So I, there was there was a this owes a lot to a lot of classic Christmas movies. So I was wondering if you caught any of those, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We could talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, this you're just filled with little nuggets and Easter eggs like everywhere. And that's something yeah. that I love about not just this film, but um, the person who helped create it. So let's get into the background. Um uh, this film was co-written and directed by Michael Doherty it's tw- from 2015. He wrote it alongside with Todd Casey and Zach Shields. And um, so a little just synopsis on the film. If you are not familiar with Krampus, um, it's about a dysfunctional family uh, around Christmas time. And they're kind of their squabbling causes a young boy named Max to lose his festive spirit. Wah, wah. And doing so unleashes the wrath of Krampus, a fearsome horned demonic beast in ancient European folklore who punishes naughty children at Christmas time. And as Krampus lays siege to the neighborhood, the family must band together to save one another from a monstrous fate. Or do they? And we're going to talk about that. We are going to be spoiling some things in this episode, but... um... I don't know. It's still worth watching. It's still fun. It's all about the journey, right? So don't let that absolutely keep you from listening unless you're like super uh, spoiler sensitive. Then you have been warned. This is um, on Peacock. So go watch it on Peacock oh. and then you pause it now. Go watch it yeah. on Peacock and then just come back and hang. Yes. And so Michael Doherty, he I think is probably best known to a lot of horror fans for Trick or Treat. Which I've still not seen. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to wonder. Like, I also love Trick or Treat, which is also a holiday movie all about uh, Halloween. And it's an anthology film. Um, This is not an anthology, but that is an anthology. And I I mean, I love it. It's a great Halloween anthology and some also some super iconic imagery and has become just bigger and seems to just gain traction every year. And so and that actually came out in 2007. And that was his kind of his feature directorial debut. Um, And then he also did some some other like shorts and some writing stuff. But so for Krampus, it's funny because he said that he actually thought of this idea years before Krampus was actually made, actually years before Trick or Treat. And he was inspired by the Krampus greeting cards um, that kind of tend to circulate. He saw those and was just kind of intrigued by this figure and had always thought like, how cool would this be to make a movie about that? You know, how in-depth he thought about the story. I don't know at that time, but I'm sure it was like, oh, that'd make a cool movie, which, yeah, 
it it does it does what. yeah <laughs> so, understandable right um something i thought was pretty interesting about trick or treat and krampus was they were both projects that the one and only horror icon george romero had expressed interest in pursuing Mm. um these stories these ideas um i think trick or treat it was even more specifically the script but he eventually walked away from both of them and it's just kind of funny that he was kind of intrigued by both of these ideas that ultimately right. michael doherty became involved with um before we get too deep into the film i think it would be cool to talk about just the idea of krampus in general and from what i understand you did a bit of internet sleuthing a bit. Yes. So a why bit. Yeah. So why don't you, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about the history and kind yeah. of the background of Krampus and the folklore behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the origins are unclear. A lot of people think he derives from like pagan iconography from like the early like Eastern European uh, time, the pre-Christianity phase. I don't know that there's a lot of evidence, historical evidence for that. Um, that may have been something that was grafted on by uh, by socialist um historians yeah uh to kind of make it seem like christianity was just stealing everything from the pagans and then of course the nazis took that idea and ran with it in mm. propaganda and so they were like yeah this is stolen from the germans and it made it into something awful so um but there is some similarity between uh the ancient figure of the perten i believe is how you pronounce that All right. uh, which are these kind of germanic spirits like kobolds or elves uh just kind of these little impish impish creatures um, generally, though, um, most historical origins, we around the late 1500s, uh, we start seeing him crop up in conjunction with St. Nicholas Day. Okay. Uh, so uh, St. Nicholas is one of the inspirations for Santa Claus, um, fourth century bishop um, who was, by all accounts, kind of a badass, depending on what historical depictions of him you read. There's a story about him like just beating the shit out of heretics. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how accurate that is. Kirk Cameron subscribes to it, so maybe it's not accurate. But oh boy, okay, yeah, right, yeah. So I don't know how accurate that, but that there that's one of the stories associated with Saint Nicholas. So, um, but he is the patron saint of. Um, let me see. I got a few uh, children, broadcasters, travelers, and uh, the falsely accused, among many many others. Mm. Um, and. He's kind of like the shadow of St. Nicholas or kind of the opposite number in some in some depictions, even an assistant of St. Nicholas. So um, in the cold, dire winter months as a way of keeping children uh, focused or excited, um, they would often tell stories about St. Nicholas, who would come on his feast day and give the children gifts of like little gifts, chocolates, fruits, nuts, candies, sweets, things like that. Um, but if they were good and if they yeah. were naughty, then the night before, um, Krampus would come and he would, uh, dispense corporal punishment all over the children. <laughs> um, he's often depicted as this very large, hairy goat man, uh, usually with a cloven hoof, sometimes one cloven hoof and one like paw. Um, right. But he's got long claws. The, the word uh, Krampus is believed to be taken from the Middle German word uh, Krampen for claw, um, which is a fun thing. But he's he's often depicted with like a, a sack or like a basket of reeds on his back and uh, a, a switch. Like basically uh, it's called a root or a ruta maybe. Um, but it's like a little bundle of sticks like tied off in the end, almost like a like a broom, like a yeah. very 
like a stick broom uh, that he would use to whip children with. And then the especially naughty ones he would throw into his basket and take them back to his cave and eat them. Um, so, you know, this, and I think this eventually evolves into the, you know, naughty children get coal. Yeah. And I think there are some later depictions where Krampus is dispensing coal or, you know, beating them with the Ruta. Um, so given the appearance, given kind of this evil sort of depiction or demeanor, he's often called the Christmas devil. Uh, he has, oh, I should mention giant goat horns is another, and, and fangs usually a tongue something out of like out of venom from spider-man uh with this long tongue that kind of flaps around and 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 does stuff um in the 1800s i want to say late 1800s it became very popular to put him on like a postcards yeah uh one of the traditions out in the kind of the alpine the mountainous regions uh was something called a a krampus walk or a krampus run and people would dress up like krampus usually with um furs and horns and these garish masks uh and they would run through the town and uh chase people beat uh, children not beat <laughs> i don't know that anyone actually was violent but you know just scaring the bejesus out of them and this would happen on krampus Nacht. um and so they like that was just kind of a thing so this was kind of a it was a country tradition something that people in the cities wouldn't understand and so then when these people would commute into the cities. There would, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was Austria. I'm probably fucking that up. Uh, we're like some of the first, one of the first countries to print postcards. And some of the earliest postcards had compass on them. Mm -hmm. And these, these uh, country expats would buy these and send them home as a way of, you know, remembering their their heritage and their traditions from back home and so even today like krampus appears on postcards pretty consistently you mentioned that yeah um the co-worker used to stock those and that's that's where those come from you can find so many of them online and all the various depictions of krampus some he looks fairly akin to a demon other times he looks uh you know a little more animalistic it it kind of runs the wide gamut um Eventually, like he was depicted usually two ways on the postcards, either beating the snot out of children or uh, just surrounded by a bevy of beautiful women. Oh, um, na naturally. Right. <laughs> right. So I guess he was created. Don't, I'm sorry. Don't take this personally, but I no. am guess that Krampus was invented by a man. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It stands to reason. Yeah. <laughs> At least that depiction of Krampus absolutely was, yeah. was created by a man. Um, and, and so I think that's where a lot of the, uh, the rumors about uh, him being associated with like pagan fertility rituals and things come from, uh, even though I don't think there's any basis for that, any historical basis uh, in some areas, it is customary to uh, offer Krampus schnapps. Oh, like, like in the movie. Okay. Right. <laughs> All right. I didn't know that. Peppermint right. schnapps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like, yeah, that's part of the part of the lore. Um, but yeah, and I mean, he would be depicted in like St. Nicholas plays and things like that. So just kind of very and it does kind of trickle over. I think in the early 2000s, we start to see a lot more of it here. Um, there's uh, there's like an episode of, I think, a Scooby-Doo that depicts the uh, Krampus. There's a um there's a comic book series that comes out that I think the first Krampus movie comes out in like 2010. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um, and I think this is one of the very few Krampus movies that 
doesn't have a sequel. I think a lot of them are like kind of these low budget movies that that like they sequelize ad infinitum. Uh, and you can um, most of those are on Tubi. You can yeah. find so many of those on Tubi. It's mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous. Um, but the way that I connected, I think most people, if if the Google search trends are any indication, this is how most people probably heard of Krampus, uh, was when Christoph Waltz in December of 2014 appears on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And the two of them are talking about the differences between uh, Christmas in America and Christmas in um, Austria, where mm-hmm. uh, where Waltz is from. And they mention Krampus. And the entire audience thinks it's a joke. Like the entire audience is like, no way. It sounds like it's not a joke. Here's a picture of what Krampus looks like. And it's like actually showing them pictures of the Krampus postcards. Right. And so if you notice the search, I actually put the the search trends in the, in the notes. So you can look at them if you want. Um like you it oh, starts yeah, in like, like january 2014 peak. yeah right at the beginning of uh 2015 there's a huge spike in krampus so like 2015 is the year of krampus but you it it starts to peak in 2014 and then just skyrockets in 2015 and then kind of comes down not quite to normal level but that kind of begins i want to say the modern obsession with krampus i don't think this movie would exist without um without that appearance and i think that's probably what gives doherty the the go-ahead to make this movie because yeah, so like let's hollywood do this. studios <laughs> are like like uh will ferrell and zoolander like oh that cramp is so hot right now yeah if i touched him it would burn my finger Krampus. <laughs> like so like that's i think i think that's what we really owe this we owe this movie to christoph waltz and there was i think a part of me i, I might have um um, Mandela affect this, but there was a part of me that thought Christoph Waltz was actually in this movie. He you is know what? He, okay, he would fit right in though. So he would. First, I just have to say, like, I kind of miss and admire the fact that, like, there was a time when life sucked so bad that to actually scare kids, you had to cut, like, create something this horrific to actually scare them because it's like you're surrounded by disease and poverty and you know you're probably gonna be dead by the time you're like 14 if you're lucky to make it that far and so it's like you can't just say something mild to actually like scare kids into behaving right like you have to come up with this like demonic weird beast man who's gonna come and hit you with sticks and take you away in his sack and so like i i mean i don't know we keep going the way we're going we might end up back there who knows that's you know that's probably true um but also okay you said christoph waltz and it does feel like he would be right at home with this because um you know before we actually dive too much into their characters we just want to say the film also stars an incredible roster of people it's got adam scott tony collette david kirchner allison tolman conchata farrell uh, Krista Stadler and MJ Anthony, it plays Max, the kind of the, the lead kid in this. And like the first time I kind of saw that list, I was like, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. there's like some serious power here. You know, you, you see Krampus and you see kind of like the marketing behind it, which all looks great. Like, don't get me wrong. But I was not expecting the cast to be this kind of notable. Um, and that was really what kind of drew me in even more than the subject matter to be like oh no i want to see this because i think this cast is incredible and i didn't know like were you surprised to see like who was in this film when you actually did see the the list it i mean the opening credits to this read like a oh wait real real hold on what yeah. oh and they're in this conchata yeah. Farrell, fuck yes like i i am a 
Conchata Farrell stan. I love her. <laughs> R.I.P. Conchata Farrell. But she's unbel- no one does what she does quite as well as she does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, for all the notoriety in this cast, I think Tony Collette's probably the biggest name now. But this is now, yeah, three years before Hereditary. So right. like most people, unless you're a big United States of Terra fan, you don't really know who Tony Collette is. Um, I knew who but, she was, but I was like, I was surprised to see her in a horror, a horror film. And like you said, this was before Hereditary. So it was like mm-hmm. surprised. I was like, oh, that's like, this seems like an interesting choice for her. And same thing with Adam Scott. Like I knew him from like Parks and Rec and, um, but I was surprised to see him in something like this. And obviously now as time has gone on, we've seen that. Okay. They're like, wait, and I know Adam Scott has been in things, but that was, you know, a million years ago. You know? Right. No. So, and I mean, like. <laughs> I I've, I think the first thing I ever saw Adam Scott in was Star Trek First Contact. So don't feel bad. Well, it wasn't he in like a Hellraiser, right? Like, a, yeah, is that what it was? Like one of the Something Hellraisers like, like yeah. a bazillion years ago. But um, I don't but know now he's I, on like yeah. Big Little Lies opposite Reese Witherspoon. And you're like, and I think this feels very much like his character in that movie, in that show. Mm, like mm-hmm. I was getting big echoes of his character there. But I, I, the thing I love about this cast in particular is that it is so comedy top heavy. Yeah. Like all of these are comedic actors and comedic performers, but the movie itself is not inherently comedic. Right. Um, I think it was, and I'm going to invoke the name of a terrible person, so please forgive me, but I think it was Joss Whedon who once said mm. that if you want somebody who can play the drama of a scene, hire a comedian mm-hmm. because they understand timing and pacing better than most actors who do just do drama totally and it's it's easier to see someone like a like an adam scott or a dave keckner or a Patton oswalt even who's not even in this movie cross over and do drama than it would be for like an al pacino or a robert de niro to step in and do comedy like yeah. it's a very different set of skills yeah oh i think yeah i said david keckner's name wrong i said Chris Sir, i think <laughs> it's, just... it's fine Apologies. It's not an easy Ooh, name to Kechner. pronounce. I don't know why I said maybe I know a Kirchner. I don't know. Anyways, Irving Kirchner was the guy who directed Empire Strikes Back. See, there you go. It's in That's there somewhere. It might um, okay, so as far as like the development of this film goes, um, you're probably right. That's probably what finally got Doherty the green light to actually pursue this project that he'd been kind of mulling over and working on uh, for a while. Um, But when it came time to actually develop, you know, the Krampus character, he knew that he had to, because of the murky background and the fact that this was for a largely like North American audience, had to be kind of, I don't know, a little bit just smart about how he depicted this character. And um, I have this quote from him and he says, we've definitely Americanized him a little bit in that it it takes place in an American suburb in Ohio. And then we added the idea that he has helpers like Santa Claus does. So Krampus basically has the diabolical version of everything that Santa Claus has. So elves, toys, and other things. Hmm. Um, And I think he was careful to not adhere too specifically to one region's kind of idea of Krampus. It was kind of a general mishmash. Like you said, the, the background and tracing the lineage of this creature is pretty difficult. Um, And I think that was smart. Mm-hmm. And also because it was for a North American audience, like we're not necessarily going to be super familiar with it. So sometimes it seems like the vaguer, the better and appeal to what people know. And also just giving him all these helpers and 
weird things is just fun and smart i think it's so it definitely it connects job. it definitely connects krampus more to the christmas iconography than the saint nicholas because we don't we're mostly protestant if we're religious at all in america mm-hmm. i mean say about that what you will i mean yes we're a cultural melting pot there are a lot of religions represented yeah but the middle america audience that these movies tend to target is very white evangelical protestant Mm -hmm. um and so they don't know from adam as to what the saints are or anything else um so you you almost you co-opt the the santa claus lore and iconography and graft it onto krampus as a way of connecting this other idea with something that is more familiar in order to make it make sense yeah um to to your audience which i i completely understand um because yeah it, it he there's not a lot that's super with the exception of the the abduction there's mm-hmm. not a lot that's super crampusy about this figure he's more like dark santa yeah mm-hmm. i will say the 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 character design on him though is Oh, incredible. Oh, yeah. Like the production design on this movie top to bottom is outstanding. Yeah. I had so much fun just watching this and like looking at how they designed the toys, the monsters, the elves, the fucking gingerbread cookies. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, Yeah. We'll talk about it as well. Um, I Before we move on to that, I did want to talk about the rating because that was kind of a Mm. sticking point and an issue not only with the the actual production team but also the audience members and critics and stuff like that because this film was put out um, intentionally with a PG-13 rating because I think the holiday aspect of it and the family aspect of it they wanted it to be kids to be able to go see this in some capacity in in that younger demographic Um, and this has always been such a weird thing with mm-hmm. like horror fans and I don't necessarily understand it. So I wanted to ask you two questions about this. Do you think sure. that this rating helped or hindered this film and its target demo? And just Stephen, tell me, why are people so afraid of PG-13 horror? <laughs> I, if I had my, if I had to guess, and that's all this would be is a guess, um, I would probably say that people might be there. There are any number of reasons why people might be averse to this kind of horror. Um, but I don't know. In my in my thinking, it feels like it feels like the escapism that most people associate with horror is the stuff that they, particularly the older fans mm-hmm. like myself. Um, and I not I don't graph this onto myself because I came to horror later, but you know, the people that grew up with it that are my age um don't like to feel like they're being um pandered to because when they engage with horror, it was usually something very transgressive. Yeah. And so there comes with with horror as a genre this kind of air of transgressiveness. Um, and you can't you can only get so transgressive with a PG 13 movie. Sure. And I think that's why people um, push back against it but then you look at there are a lot of very successful horror films and horror franchises that aren't even pg-13 like ghostbusters or mm-hmm. gremlins like these are pg horror aimed at kids like these are gateway horror films and like 
you get those films and then that's your gateway to Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees yeah. um, a lot of time. Now, some people, for some people, it's not. And some people may not like Gremlins or Ghostbusters for those reasons. But like, I, th- I think horror canon should be for everyone. And um, I don't know, to gatekeep a horror movie based on its rating, its MPAA rating feels arbitrary. I will say the one thing I think this movie was hurt by with the PG-13 rating is we did not get the full line reading of Dave Keckner uh, when he says Merry Christmas, Mother, and just stops. Yeah. <laughs> and I really wanted that Merry Christmas, Motherfucker, to that little mm-hmm. killer gingerbread man. I wanted it so bad because it's such a great moment. Yeah. Um, and it 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 does kind of feel. Although Allison Tolman's later on when she calls the uh, the toy you fudger. Mm. um i was crying it, it was, that was such so a mom funny. thing it's cute it is I, yeah like i you know sometimes like i love a good rated r horror film but sometimes like sure. i have no problem with just having fun with a film and taking it for what it is and so i think it was i personally think it was kind of smart because it's something that's a little dark it is dark this one was dark yes um but also accessible and i just think as a young budding horror fan i would love a film like this especially mm-hmm. something a holiday horror something like that so i i think it i understand why it is but i know that doherty wanted to make something a little harder and there isn't there is an r-rated cut of this oh, out there okay. um but from i have seen it but from what i remember like it's it's mostly like cussing and things like the violence i don't recall there being any like extra scenes or anything this movie like, is whoa shit like extra this, that that's brutal yeah this is already pretty violent like i, I know, don't know that yeah. we need more yeah so i so. think it was really just some extra language that kind of pushed it over into rated r but who knows what he would have made if he had known that a rated r was a possibility but it was always kind of intended to be pg-13 right. um and uh yeah okay so production i will say sorry i will say mm-hmm. not to not to cut you off i will say no, no, i no, don't no. think it's the rating that hurt this movie at the box office so much as the rest of the box office for this weekend mm-hmm. you've got the the end of the hunger games franchise pixar's good dinosaur creed specter the night before the peanuts movie Lots oscar of, bait yeah. stuff Pe- uh spotlight brooklyn martian like it's oh, yeah. it's a pretty pretty stacked weekend and then if you move on like to the next weekend you you start to have more stuff coming out the big short uh in the heart of the sea and then moving into christmas you get the force awakens and any chance it would have had is gone by then so that yeah no i agree like who it's like you know yeah force awakens comes out versus i mean you know whatever what we know now what we know now but exactly right at the time it's like if you're going to choose and I hate to say it, I I did see The Force Awakens and did not see same. Krampus. So. Yeah, no, big same. I went. I was opening night Force Awakens. Yeah, so, so yeah. yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it was more just the timing, but also, I mean, how could you not release this when it got released? Which uh, we could talk about because it got released um, on. It was originally intended for November, but was moved to December fourth to align with Krampus Knocked on December fifth. So I appreciate Correct. that they were thinking about that. But too bad nobody knew what the fuck Krampus Knocked was. But exactly, Krampus was uh, just kind just... of this vague thing that Jimmy Fallon talked about a year ago. Like, 
yeah, but... nobody nobody realized except you know the Krampus diehards. Um, exactly. So yeah, principal photography began on the film March 2015, wrapped in May, so not crazy long, and it was filmed in Wellington, New Zealand, uh, largely shot on a soundstage at Stone Street Studios. Something I thought was interesting about that was the date that just and just kind of speaks to the level of detail and thought that went into this film, I think. So the breath, right? Because that's mm-hmm. something that drives me crazy when you see CGI breath. The in CGI film, breath. And yeah. you can tell that it's not real and you know right. that they're not outside. It just takes me out of it. And it's such a little thing, but it makes a mm-hmm. huge difference. So they filmed that like folks reading lines in a freezer. And then isolate. So I'm assuming they're wearing coats and it's just, it's not even the actors. It's just somebody. And then they isolated the breath and inserted that into the film when those people were speaking those lines outside. So it looked. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Like it's just that extra step that makes such a huge difference and actually makes you feel like this is cold because it looks cold. Um, and also just want to give a shout out for, to composer Douglas Pipes, who did the score for this. He also scored uh, Trick or Treat. And I think that, um, I mean, I could, I've written about this score before because I think it's brilliant. So I'm not going to wax too poetic here, but I think it's just such a perfect blend of kind of original material, but then also traditional kind of holiday songs and material. And he just has all these little nuggets of songs that are in there and he pulls on all these kind of just cultural touch points, these sonic touch points and just weaves them in and out of the film in such a subtle and effective way. I think it's just a brilliant balance that he does here. And um, Doherty felt the same way. And he said, you know, much like Williams, Goldsmith and Horner, Douglas is one of those rare composers who still understands the importance of themes, melodies and tonal balance, even when crafting the score for a horror film. And like the film itself, some of Douglas's cues are scary and suspenseful. Others are whimsical and playful, while others are surprisingly tragic, sweeping and poignant. But all of them manage to capture that elusive and mysterious Christmas magic. Mm hmm. And yeah, I th- I think he does that, which is what I want from a Christmas horror film. I want it to Absolutely. feel like Christmas. <laughs> and he also, I think he, I read that he uses like um, chains and mm-hmm. um, like skin drums on the, in the orchestration to kind of evoke the more, uh, the, the spookier Krampus elements. Yeah. Like, like the, the more historic like aspects of that and like tapping right. into those roots, like just, just really thoughtful. And also, you know, just listening to this on its own, like there's some really beautiful pieces and you could put some of these tracks on like a Christmas playlist and it would fit right in. And that's yeah. just always like really funny to me because it's like, <laughs> you have no idea what this is from, but it right. sounds really sweet and like lovely. It, it, it reminds me in a lot of ways of John Williams's home alone score Yeah, in that that it kind of captures like it's it's not as um it's not as upbeat as that score tends to mm-hmm. be but it it fits into that kind of atmospheric tone in the same way like using the similar orchestration and, and again kind of relying on some of the musical tropes that you find in holiday music and and mm-hmm. kind of transposing them into this score i think works really well yeah and then one of the biggest parts of the production that I think is just like what really makes this film is the involvement of Weta Workshop, the iconic mm, Weta Workshop. Love Weta. Yeah. Doherty knew I wanted to, he wanted to make a Christmas monster movie and knew that in order to do that, he needed real monsters, not, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to involve practical effects from the very beginning and knew that that was going to be a critical component. So yeah, Weta, I mean, who, who else? This is 
They did, you know, this is Lord of the Rings. This is all the Peter Jackson stuff. This is Hellboy, yeah. 30 Days of Night, District 9. Like these are, it's an iconic studio. And they did both practical and um, digital, wait, yeah, practical and visual effects um, and concept design for the film. And it it pays off. And we can, we're going to go a little bit further into the those effects in the movie discussion. But just so you know, everybody knows, Weta, they did a great Weta. job. Yes. Created for uh, for the Frighteners, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Frighteners and Brain Dead. Like this is, you know, they've been with Peter Jackson since the beginning. Since and, the beginning, yeah. Yes, and they're just yeah brilliant and experts at what they do. And I think that that was such a smart decision. It makes this so fun. Um, okay, so when this movie was released, it had a fifteen dollar fifteen dollar budget, fifteen million dollar <laughs> budget, fifteen million. What is not cheap? Um, no. And it, it made you know sixty one point five million at the box office, which is uh, fine. It's good. It's not bad. Yeah. It's you know whatever. You're not gonna you're not gonna build a sequel off of it, but it's a good return on investment. Not yet, anyways. I mean, look, I. <laughs> want a Krampus sequel. I have an idea for what you could do for a Krampus sequel. I don't think you're going to get this cast back for a Krampus sequel, mm. uh, at least not in their entirety. But yeah, if you turn it into like maybe an anthology series where it's kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street thing where you just the Krampus is the villain. Yeah. M- make as many of these as you want. Yeah. And that has been something that, you know, Michael has talked about before. He's mentioned, I mean, he's done that for Trick or Treat too, though. I don't know. I think it's he I would, was going to say he seems that seems like his thing, like he he wants to be a franchise guy, but he can't seem to get those off the ground. I wonder yeah. if he's considered crowd crowdfunding any of those, because I think the fans, especially mm-hmm. trick or treat, I think the fans would absolutely want. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, he also did the, you know, that Godzilla King of Monsters movie. So mm. it's 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 interesting. I, I will see where he goes from there. Um, but there's still hope out there. If he gets big enough, maybe he'll be able to twist some arms and be like you guys i've made you plenty of money let me do this trick-or-treat too and you know right i think fans would be up for it so yeah the the film had received some rather mixed reviews um from critics fans alike and so i yeah like i said i don't necessarily fully understand all of the issues people have with it but we're gonna get into it so yeah let's talk about the movie itself and i guess i just i want to get a baseline from you and just kind of see where you stand on christmas horror if you think there's too much you want to see more do you like christmas horror films or even just holiday horror in general we've got thanksgiving trick-or-treat you know there's plenty of them out there now Um, sure yeah where do you stand um i so a couple a few years ago during quarantine, I coped by eating a lot of hot sauce and watching a lot of movies. That was basically my life for that year. Um, and so I, what I did is I dug in on a lot of the movies and franchises that I hadn't seen. Uh, and so one thing that I did during December, I did a 25 Christmas movies watch list. And oh, nice. I included a lot of holiday horror in there. I did all three Black Christmases. I did uh, Better Watch Out, um, something called Sleigh Bells that I would not recommend. Um, but like I did just like a, as much like holiday horror as I could fit in. And I think, I don't know, with any movie, I think if it's done well, I want more of that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I guess I don't have a problem with holiday horror. I What I want is a horror film done well. And if it happens to be grafted onto a holiday, 
so much the better. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think that can add a fun backdrop to something that that already exists. Like I loved the original My Bloody Valentine. I think that movie is phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like the original Halloween, obviously, and of course there are so many horror movies centered around Halloween. But the juxtaposition of Christmas and horror is is just too delicious. Like I've not dug into any of the Silent Night, Deadly Night films. At some point, I'm going to have to do that. Yep. Um, I. I, I'm not in a hurry to do that, but I know I'm going to have to at some point. The I will first to... one, yeah, yeah, at least the first one. I'll, I'll definitely. Be... I'm excited for that one. The rest of them, kind of like, mm. yeah. If, I mean, do if I you've seen to... the first one, you've basically seen the second one. So do I need to watch seven of these? Um, need is a strong word, right? But yeah. and then, but then again, I'm also there's that part of my brain that's like, well, you're a completist, so if you're going to mm-hmm. start the thing, you better finish the thing. And I'm like, 100. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. And that was part of why I went through so many franchises. Like I did all the Halloween franchise. I did all the Nightmare on Elm Street, all the Friday the 13th, the entire James Bond franchise. Like I just did, I think like 17 (laughs) different franchises and the oeuvres of like 14 different directors. Um, So like I just, that was was how I spent my year. Hey, you know what? I watched over 400 movies in 2020. I love that for you. <laughs> That's amazing. That sounds like an incredible year. I mean, outside of like, you know, the world falling apart. Um, outside of gestures broadly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outside of all that. Uh, the movie part sounds great. Right. Um, yeah. I also, I love holiday horror. Like I'm a person who has a hard time necessarily rewatching things mm-hmm. um, unless it's for like, I don't know, a podcast or something, because I'm always like, there's so much I haven't seen. I have to see right. everything. So when I do have time to just watch something, I'm generally going to gravitate towards something I haven't seen. So I can just cross it off my, you know, non-existent list. Right. Um, but I feel like the holidays, whether it's Halloween or like you said, Valentine's Day, it's a, it's a good chance to revisit something because I want to get in the spirit and the mood. And so I love being able to have films that I can come back to and revisit every year. And like, this has become one of those that I just have been watching every year for one reason or another. And I, I don't hate it. And I kind of love that because it it helps get me in the spirit too, honestly. I think this one in particular really does kind of evoke that kind of Christmassy feeling that a lot of classic Christmas movies like Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation tend to invoke for people. Like it's got, particularly in those first few scenes with the family getting together, Mm -hmm. like it has, I mean, it's basically if Home Alone and christmas vacation like it, mm-hmm. it's those two setups kind of mashed together in a very like because dave keckner is giving like cousin eddie in this 100%. like crazy mm-hmm. allison tolman is giving cousin Catherine like absolutely 100 percent. you've got the the relative that no one quite knows how they got here who's just ornery and cantankerous like conchata farrell is uncle lewis mm-hmm. um and then you've got you know uh mj anderson in the macaulay culkin role i wish my family would disappear and but then instead of leading to you know a comedy of errors that leads to him rube goldberging his entire house like a sociopath (laughs) you get him uh manifesting uh an evil christmas demon instead so i mean it whoops like you do yeah i mean who who hasn't that happened to am i right am i right folks i mean okay we need to talk about this family that you just mentioned because Mm -hmm. i yeah like you said i love this like the, all the tropes it's pulling on from all these other like just general holiday movies and, and it's subtle enough that it's not 
incredibly obvious. Like, like Dave Keckner is he's he's giving Cousin Eddie, but he's not Cousin Eddie. He's playing a completely different character that just happens to yeah. be a lot like Cousin Eddie. Yeah. And I think what I like about this family is that it still does feel like a family to me. Like it's not mm-hmm. too over the top. Like we get these absolute moments of just incredibly annoying family nonsense. And, you know, it's just like, but like why are they even getting together like clearly these people don't even like each other but we do have those kind of more sweet moments and we have those moments where they actually are making efforts to connect or reconnect like the sisters like we see you know tony collette and allison tom like they have these moments where it's like oh no they they actually do care about each other they just you know they just get on each other's nerves sometimes and it's a sibling rivalry thing like yeah and even adam scott's character and david's they have moments where it's like oh i was starting to like you and you know they don't clearly they don't agree on everything and clearly they're not coming from the same places at all but they're making an effort and they're keeping calm and it so in that way it does feel like there's love here and that's something that i think that this family or like the movie does portray is that there is some heart here and so it never feels too exaggerated just exaggerated enough to be funny and like yeah like how we can have fun with it but not enough to be like okay like eye rolling like there's no way this family would even care if somebody went missing because they don't even care about each other (laughs) right and yeah and i think that that the the balance there is is it's a hard trick to pull off but i think it's it's the one-two punch of both the performances and the writing that really kind of make that work yeah to where it i mean this isn't a slasher film where it's filled with a bunch of disposable characters that you can't wait to see die off right these for as limited as some of the screen time they have is like the i think the sister beth is like She's on screen for maybe 20 minutes of this movie before she's dispatched, but you still feel it when she's gone because they've done such a good job of writing everyone else's reactions to her, giving her enough of a voice and enough of a personality that we know, feel we know who she is Mm -hmm. and helped her feel integrated into the overall family dynamic. Like we're not waiting for these people to get picked off when when Conchata Farrell gets ripped out, Aunt Dorothy, I think is her name, gets ripped out of the window. Um, yeah. You feel that, you know, yeah. when Omi locks herself in the house, you feel that like there's yeah. these actual dynamics that helps us to connect with the characters and makes it a much more rewarding viewing experience because these aren't just, you know, faceless tropes waiting that we're waiting to see dispatched. These are actual characters, actual people. And that's I don't know. I That's the mark of a good horror movie for me. Yeah. Um, also, Omi, the character of Omi is kind of. She, she's kind of an outlier pl- played by Krista Stadler. She feels a little separate from everybody, but also she's kind of like the linchpin for this whole film um, because it's her that has, me- she's German, I believe in the mm-hmm. film. Yeah. And, and like half of her dialogue is in German with I subtitles. Know. So which I, which I actually like love. And I love that, you know, it's never like, I don't know, meant to feel like othered or whatever, like MJ or Max, I guess the character and, um, you know, her son, like they actually, you know, they speak and understand her. They don't necessarily respond all the time in German. Tom does a couple times, but they understand her and they have this really sweet relationship between them. But it's her that has met Krampus before and has experienced this before. And she's kind of a badass. (laughs) She's unbelievable. Yeah. She, and I think, 
the way that Krista Stadler plays her with that combination of warmth, but also kind of steely resolve. And you never know, like you can tell she loves Max. You can tell mm-hmm. she loves her family, but by the other hand, you, on the other hand, you can tell she's seen some shit. And then when yeah. you realize what the, sh- what shit is that she's seen, a lot of that kind of comes into focus and you start to understand where she's coming from a lot more. And I think that works very well. And I think, again, a lot of that is in Stadler's performance that we were able to get that from her. Yeah. And like, clearly she's a very expositional character. Like she's basically telling everybody about what is happening in Krampus and kind of how this creature works. Mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't feel super forced to me. Like, I love that we're being, you know, a large portion of people who have never even heard of this, like this folklore. You can, you feel like you're getting to know about it, but it's not, I don't know, it's not overdone. And it also feels like it makes sense in this world and in this family. Um, so I just think that it's it's just such an interesting character, how she's a little, you know, she's just like letting them do their thing a lot of times. But when she says something, it's like well, mm-hmm. you better listen because she know like she told everybody keep the fire hot and you didn't like, right listen to her she's mm-hmm. seen some shit like she was telling you what to do this whole time and you didn't um yeah. so that's that's um any other of the other characters i mean let's i, I feel like we have to talk about max we we do. I mean, MJ Anderson, I think I first saw him in or MJ Anthony. I've been calling him Anderson this whole time. Damn it. MJ Anthony. Sorry, MJ, if you're listening. I know you I know you're a fan. Um, <laughs> but I think I first saw him in Chef. Yeah. Um, which yeah. I thought, you know, that that movie I I'm like, oh man, John Favreau was really mad about the reception of Cowboys and Aliens. Um <laughs> But like he is such a good linchpin and he plays kind of the the Kevin McAllister sort of role minus the sociopath very well here in that he is the youngest kid. He's the one that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. He's maybe a little too old to believe in Santa, but still very much believes in Santa. Um, Like that, that's kind of the, the end, like his cousins pick on him, his sister picks on him. Like he is the very put upon child, but there's a sensitivity to him that I think is really great. So when he gets broken, like mm-hmm. when when his Christmas spirit gets broken, you f- absolutely feel that. And then, of course, he's able to do what Omi never was, which is, you know, spoiler for the end of this movie, which is actually face down Krampus and confront Krampus. Um, you know, Omi says, well, I was left and that's yeah. not good enough for Max. Like Max goes and seeks out the Krampus and basically says, you know, fuck this. I, I don't want this. I want my family. I want Christmas to be like it used to be. That's all I really wanted. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's so sweet to me. And and it's something else I wanted to talk about was just kind of the the idea of, you know, these kind of holiday morality tales and something that I think Max conveys in such an interesting way. Because like you said, he believes in Santa, but it's not actually that he believes in Santa. It's that he believes in the holiday. And in that mm. opening scene you know, with the, when he's getting in a fight in the nativity fight, it's because there's some right. other older kid telling younger kids that Santa's not real. And he knows that Santa's not real, but he doesn't want, he didn't like that the kid was spoiling it for these and like right. taking that away from these younger kids when they were maybe a little too young or, you know, they didn't have to have it spoiled so soon. Right. And he has a really interesting conversation that I think really sums up this whole film and really is just so sweet and when he's talking to omi 
And Omi's telling him, you know, St. Nicholas is what you make of him. To believe in him is to believe in the true spirit of the holiday, the spirit of giving, of sacrifice. And I I really like this kind of this take on the idea of Santa. Like, I actually think that this would be an incredible way to tell a child that like Santa's not real, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of break that. But and this is such a great way to frame that idea. Um, yeah, because it's like it's not it's not the this actual mythological person that's so important it's just right you know it's you it's what you make of him and it's this idea and i i love that um that was kind of similar to what my father my father did with me it was like he's the it's this it's the spirit of the of the holiday and and that we that we keep we keep it alive in order to perpetuate the magic and spirit of the holiday Right. And I think a lot of people get that from religion, but this is like just another way to kind of connect Santa to that idea. So even if you're not like, you know, heavily invested or like grown up in a religion, you can still kind of get that same idea, but with, you know, without without all the religion. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It still makes sense. So (laughs) I, you know, I just, I did grow up in a, you know, casually religious family. So I always had that idea of it, but I never connected it to Santa, that character. So I like that the film kind of bridges that gap, I think a little bit. Um, And for me, it helps like this, film, like, like we've said, this film is dark and it Mm -hmm. explores a lot of the darker side of this idea because we're dealing with the darker side of Santa. This is the opposite Santa, Um, but it never feels super to me anyways, like cynical, um, it, it feels very sincere, even though it's really dark. And I wasn't sure, like, it, how you felt about it approaching Christmas, the holiday, in this way. And if you found found it, like, saccharine or sincere or cynical. Because for me, I think it's it's walking a good line. I, I tend to agree. I think it's very easy to get cynical about Christmas, particularly... Yeah. I mean, when we're kids, everything is, I'll, I'll, I'll just speak from my experience. When I was a kid, everything was very magical about yeah. Christmas. It, you know, everyone was a little nicer, um, or at least that's what it seemed like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get to watch like stuff on TV that only ever came on once a year. So like everyone would pile around and watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and we drink hot cocoa and we make Christmas cookies. Like there was this kind of element of tradition that my family put on it. Like uh, I grew up in Indianapolis. And so every year on Christmas Eve, after we would leave my grandparents, um, we would drive into downtown, which my father absolutely hated. And we would drive around the soldiers and sailors monument downtown, which they um, would hang Christmas lights from to make it look like a gigantic Christmas tree. And they still do it. It's, It's still there downtown Indy center of town, but the, the center it's why they call it the circle city is there's a, little just like roundabout right around this monument so we would just drive around it and look at the christmas tree and then we'd drive home um and so like it was it was about these little traditions um and then as you get older the magic starts to and this is what the entire movie polar express about that magic starts to fade yeah and it becomes about obligations it becomes about having to go see your family having to buy gifts it 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 stops being magical because now we realize how much work it is Mm -hmm. and so there it's very easy to be cynical and so you see that in all the adults and 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 even in in some ways in some of the kids as well like oh you know my cousins are i don't want to spend time with you know my cousins they're blah 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 um and so 
it it becomes like this these kind of forced social interactions that we that we put upon ourselves and things like that. So I think it's very easy to get cynical about it. And I think this film does kind of approach it from both sides. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the kind of the dark cynicism of the holiday and the people who are just like, you know, fuck Christmas. I don't just I'll hide in a cave until January. Like, don't come out and bother me. But then on the opposite side of it, and I think it handles this very well because it does. This feels like an actual Christmassy movie. It has enough of those element and it's not just the imagery or the iconography but it's it's the feeling of the thing Mm -hmm. that there is no other time this this movie could could take place there's no other setting for this movie um and what you get out of it is ultimately you get that family togetherness like this family that's that's very sniping and bickering at each other at the beginning of this film by the end of this film they're working together and you see that and I think it, uh, Howard, Dave Keckner's character is the one that says that he's like, you know, I, Linda and I butt heads, but I don't know what I do without her. Yeah. Like yeah. I like, yes, I argue with these people. Yes. I get upset with these people. Yes. They drive me absolutely crazy. But when it comes right down to it, I love them. Yeah. And we, and it, it's a reminder of why we force these interactions and things on ourselves every Christmas mm-hmm. and why we, why we put ourselves through, because at the end of the day, there is something deeper that it's rooted in and i think this movie does that very well so yeah i absolutely think this movie is sincere and that's i think one of the things that i enjoy about it is the is the sincerity of it is the fact that it it doesn't sugarcoat anything Mm -hmm. it lays everything out for you i think very well in that you know yeah it's it's not always ideal but here's what it is um and um yeah i don't know i like it i i also it's you know, because there's so many Christmas movies out there. A lot of oh you know, yeah of the Hallmark variety that oh. have it's the same idea, right? Like, remember what the holiday is about. Remember what the holiday is about. But it's doing it in such like a like too sweet. It's cloying. You know? It's saccharine. Yeah. It's it's fucking preachy, is what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Christmas becomes the religion. And it doesn't help that those movies tend to be made with the exact same quality as like those. <laughs> those faith-based <laughs> movies right like just yeah. the really piss poor quality but it's like they're almost guilting you into like like trying to feel the spirit right but what i i like about this movie and movies that we've talked about like home alone or mm-hmm. um gremlins or a christmas carol and it's a wonderful life which mm. doherty was like really inspired and we see bits of those literally in the, the this film is the idea like the darker idea about it like remember right. what the holiday is about or else mm-hmm. like there's a like a darker motivation you know it's like not remember what the holiday is about or you're a bad person it's right. remember what the holiday is about or this fucking beast is gonna come and kill your whole family it's and it's far more literal than something like a christmas carol or it's a wonderful life because like christmas carol is like it it's it's about your it's about one man's soul yeah and then yeah. it's a wonderful life also one man's soul whereas this is you know remember why you're here yeah remember what what is truly important and i think that's again growing up in a religious background like i did not casually religious very religious my, yeah. my upbringing um the 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 idea of remember the reason for the season is plastered yeah. over <laughs> everything yeah. right yep. um and so that that and and it, to the point where like every Christmas we would start every before we'd open any presents, 
we would read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter two every mm. year. That was another tradition that we had. Uh, and it was one that was very important to my parents. Still is very important. Like I will probably end up doing it this year too. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's something that we've always done. Um, and so like it, it, it's a it's a way about of refocusing. And I think the darker edge to this is nice. And I think it it kind of helps it to it keeps it from being cloying because yes. of, you know, that it tempers it a little. And I don't know, it feels that's that's a hard edge to ride. And this film really does do it very well. I think so too. I'm, because I'm coming, I'm coming around on this movie a lot more than I thought I would, like yeah, as we talk through this. Because it's also not leading too hard into that darkness, like where you say it, it just becomes like a, a creature feature slasher kind of film where he's just killing people and there's no like heart to it. Like mm-hmm. there is a good balance where it's yes, it's using this darker idea to get the same kind of sentimental idea across but it's it's it feels very balanced in how it's doing it um but all that to be said god damn do i love just a just an amazing creature design and that's something i mean all the all the creature design all the effects in this are incredible and i want to get into some of them yes i want to i want to start with the main man himself mr krampus who um was a physical giant actual monstrosity he was Mm -hmm. large enough to have a grown man controlling it from the inside and so what a workshop he has a there's a technician turned actor whose name is luke hawker who was actually in krampus manipulating that suit Um, and i have a quote from him he says performing a seven foot demon was not without its challenges with leg arm and finger extensions under a suit that weighed over half my body weight seeing the world through nothing more than a tiny camera hidden in the head created some hurdles in terms of performance and balance but with an amazingly supportive stunt team and my infinitely awesome colleagues at what a workshop we were able to create a pretty awesome and frighteningly believable creature i I love it. Obviously, there are some visual like CGI kind of effects when he's jumping right. from house to house and stuff, but right. it never looks gimmicky to me. Like this creature is terrifying and physically imposing. And I, it I wraps love it, it. It wraps itself in the Saint Nicholas iconography. It's got the the huge hood, the, the, the red the red cape, and it's got like the the mask, like yeah. it's with the gaping mouth. It honestly, the mask looks like he skinned a human face, yeah, and just like put it over his own. You can kind of see the eyes behind there, and kind of see the mouth a little bit, uh-huh. but like you don't. At the end of the day, and I think that's another thing that works here. You don't really know what it looks like. It's that everything's kind of hidden. Everything's mm-hmm. kept from you. And I love, I love monsters. That's part of what I love about the original Black Christmas is you don't really see what billy looks like through the entire movie so you're not really sure and uh i love that this kind of plays the same way is you don't really know like you know the depiction you you can tell he's got horns because can't hide those those are the hooves and the hooves yeah Yeah. what kind of goat walks around on its hind legs right Mm -hmm. like but you never really get the full picture of what he is and i think that's such good film and and it's the jaws thing right like yeah and obviously there are reasons for it in Jaws, but I think story-wise, it kind of keeps everything very dark, mysterious, and keeps you wanting more as an yeah. audience member. Well, and it was smart just based, you know, like the the vagueness of the myth itself. And that's something that Doherty was aware of, as we've mentioned. And so yeah, I have another quote from him. He says, we wanted to go for something that looked ancient, 
that looked like it walked out of the dark ages in a sense. The fur pelts, the heavy coats, the rusty chains, but we also wanted to acknowledge that everybody's interpretation of Krampus is different, so we like the idea that we never fully reveal Krampus. Nice. So not only was it smart in terms of like horror filmmaking that keeps us, you know, that mystery, mm-hmm. it it also was just smart in acknowledging the fact that like there's a lot of ideas around this and we don't want to marry ourselves to one or the other because there's so many we want to be be inclusive we want an inclusive monster and absolutely to do that we're going to be as vague as possible because that's just the best way to not piss anybody off or alienate I mean, anybody so it's it's it was just smart on every level yeah i mean and that's kind of what i mean santa's kind of the reverse of that like santa has become so homogenized because it's based on these little flecks of iconography from all these like the the um the uh the the christmas poem twas the night before christmas right like that santa claus is never used in there but now we associate the saint nick there right but if you look at like the iconography and, and kind of the historical images of saint nicholas the beard's about all we were able to keep like there's mm-hmm. all these things but coca-cola kind of streamlined a lot of that compressed a lot of those ideas and now that's just santa yeah right so like commercialized version exactly and so to keep that from happening you wrap him in something that's been very commercialized that's very iconic but you keep but in a twisted kind of darker way and then you're able to kind of combat that and now krampus is for everyone if you want it like yeah 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 I, yeah, it's just amazing. And it really does help sell that idea of like the shadow of St. Nicholas. And mm-hmm. I, I like how we get little snippets of him. You know, we get just enough of the monster because that's always the thing with monster movies, right? Is like they're either sh- they show too much or they don't show enough. And I also feel like they give us enough Krampus because it's not really to like the very last, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes that we actually get to see Krampus as much as we right. do. Um, but we're seeing him in vague, really kind of creepy ways pretty early in the film. So I, I feel like the the progression of how we're seeing him too was also really well executed. So it didn't feel like we were cheated um, or also that, you know, like, oh, they just aren't showing us because they couldn't afford to or whatever. But I think it was very it- intentional. I think it also helps the design is so good. Like oh, how yeah. often do you like have this villain that's kind of teased or this monster that's kind of teased for the movie and then you see it and you're like, that's it? Right. Like that or like the effects are bad or the design is off or mm-hmm. in the case of like um, uh, signs and my Shyamalan signs, both. Right, like, right, right. Like so by the end of it, you're kind of underwhelmed by the thing as a result. This the design is so cool and it's mm-hmm. it's practical too so you don't have to worry it's mostly practical so you don't have to worry about the effects being weird or bad or off because it just looks it looks fucking badass <laughs> and that's the thing that practical effects can get you because there's something about acting and reacting off of a physical thing in that space like you can yeah. measure your amount of fear like how ridiculous is it when someone's screaming at a monster in horror and then you look at the monster and it's goofy ass shit like right yeah so i i think the design of it helps sell that idea even more as well yeah um also just like when the world that we see so once you know krampus has kind of descended on this neighborhood like i just love how just devastatingly icy everything looks like these mm. giant icicles like hanging off the houses and it's just so excessive because like it's like 
you know, but I feel like the family is also like, what the fuck? Like, why, they can't <laughs> tell us about a blizzard, but it's more than a blizzard. Like, right. this world looks transformed and very otherworldly. And I feel like that they executed that, even though it's on a sound stage. like, I really do feel like it's like, oh, no, something has happened here. Something we are in Narnia or something it's, like it's, what it's is a, going it's a, on? It's a, it's an Armageddon. It's like an apocalypse sort of thing. Yeah. And for all we know, these are the like I, I've been in situations where like the whole neighborhood blacks out. And in a lot of cases, all the neighbors will kind of converge into the street and like talk and compare notes and things like that. Yeah. You don't get that here. Like these people are isolated unto themselves. The world yeah. begins and ends with them yeah. and their experience. And that that gives me so that gives me John Carpenter's the thing vibes like mm-hmm. this is all that is these are all that are um and she kind of does run down like these people are on vacation these people are on vacation these people are you know out of town like we're the only people in the neighborhood right now so it feels extra isolated but then the daughter runs off to the boyfriend and then that whole like that looks completely torn to shit like it's something has gone horribly awry here and we don't know what it is until right toward the end yeah um, okay, we have to talk about Krampus's little sidekicks. Because yes. I love them. So, because yeah, Krampus, I guess, doesn't traditionally have many helpers, but you know, they thought, well, if Santa can do it, why not Krampus? And that's kind of yeah, because that kind of is one of the more like we're taking something attributed because I think Krampus is like the assistant of Saint Nicholas in a lot right. of those early. So yeah, they're kind of giving elevating him to like Santa status in a way. Yes. Yeah, so they, and to do that, they just kind of took that a step further and did sort of the inverse of, you know, typical St. Nick jolly fair and anything that Santa would have that would be, you know, a generally cheery, joyful kind of thing. They made it just horrific and in the best way. I was going to say, this is like one of my favorite parts of the film. Like, I love Krampus, I love all that, but I love all of these little side characters um gives me it's very gremlins very child's play vibes and it helps that they're all kind of with the exception of that jack-in-the-box they're all kind of diminutive really yeah they're yeah a lot of the size and the elves um Mm -hmm. but yes we yeah we've got elves we've got snow snakes we've got killer teddy bears we've got this jack-in-the-box beast thing that gave me hard like taking of deborah logan vibes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like when it's in the attic right? and like it's, you know, jaws unfolding and everything. And oh, then it's so good. You know, what else? We've got the little like small soldier knife Terminator machine thing. <laughs> My favorite, uh, the gingerbread man. Yes, the evil, the creepy cookies. <laughs> I love, love that my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is Dave Keckner with the shotgun and them with the 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 nail gun in the kitchen. Yeah. And you get that little explosion and that that um, gingerbread man with the pointed candy cane just like lunging at his face. And then you cut away to him and he's like cowering and yeah. the music cuts out. And then you like, hey, he like looks down and you pan over and the dog's just like, oh, Rosie. I love Rosie. <laughs> Rosie's the best. Poor Rosie. Um, she deserves so much better. She does. Uh, yeah, that snow yeah. snake. I always kind of forget about that. But like mm-hmm. that for me is like truly like a kind of a new fear unlocked because i hate the idea of something like just coming up from the depths Mm. (laughs) 
uh, you know, whether it's water. And so I'm like, oh, great. Now I have to be wor- worried about fucking snow snakes coming <laughs> up and like dragging me under the snow because that Rachel, was I, uh, that didn't exist before. <laughs> I don't think you do. I don't think that's something you really need to be worried about. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe <laughs> this this it hasn't snowed here much yet. So hopefully I'll be OK and the snow snakes can go somewhere else. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't really snowed here since October. So I don't know. I'm any day now. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. Um, the attic scene, I also, I think, is just amazing. 10 out of 10, because we get so many different creatures up there in the attic. That That's came where out you of get, the... like, all the toys. Yeah. yeah. Like, shit really hits the fan. You know, the cookies are going down and in in, going on the main floor in the kitchen. He's doing mm-hmm. that. But then up in the attic, we've got all of these things and they're coming out of everywhere, left and right. And they're brutal. And I love when Adam Scott sees the the toy, the Jack in the Box thing. And he's just mm-hmm. like, oh, come on. Come on. I, and like... such such a great delivery from him. And that's I mean, that's the kind of delivery you expect from him on like Parks and Rec. But like mm-hmm. he is really good at that kind of reacting to weird shit like he's so good at that and it's just very self-aware because it's like it's these creatures are so obviously like holiday inspired Mm -hmm. and so like it's just so funny to me it's just like a moment of like okay yeah we're yes we're doing this and it's going to be silly and ridiculous but I love it so much. <laughs> I kind of wonder why they went with a Jack in the Box instead of a Nutcracker for that one. I feel like that might have been a little more, maybe yeah. too on the nose. But yeah, there's a Nutcracker like in Krampus's bag. Right. I remember I seeing the little like... one in the bag, but like, and I love the design on that too. But like, yeah. I think like a bigger one, like as a foot soldier, I think would be a really fun idea. Yeah. Maybe sure. they were saving that one for the sequel. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, and the elves too, I think are really kind of creepy and they oh, and the snowmen. Like there's see, there's so many. Mm-hmm. There's all these moments and they're all very creepy. And if anybody's interested, the Blu-ray has a great special feature about kind of these creatures and the making of, and you get to see a lot of behind the scenes um, where you see all the actors and you actually see all these creatures. Like, no, they're walking around. There's people in it. Like there's all these all a lot of the stuff they were doing on set and were these huge productions. And it's just one of those things that just always reminds me that like movies are magic. And it's just so cool to see all of these people working so hard to make a fucking angel demon doll bride of Chucky kind of thing. And like is attacking Tony Collette and trying to hang her from Christmas lights. (laughs) Oh my God. So fun. Um, so lots of good behind the scenes thing there that really just highlights the, the craftsmanship of Weta and how much work went into that, um, which I think ultimately makes this film just worth watching. Um, And I think it is the design and the, the role that the helpers play that make help make this movie so much fun. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would be half as fun if you didn't have those, like they seem from a larger storytelling perspective, they seem a little superfluous, yeah. but they just inject the movie with so much fun. Like, and you're just, you're having a blast with her on screen. So like, I'm like, I, this doesn't make any sense to me why these guys are here, but I'm having too good of a time to really care or think about it that much. Like I was just, I was just having a blast. Yeah, I mean, Krampus, he seems like a pretty, like, 
mean dude because it's mm-hmm. not that he just like comes in and is like all right you lost your christmas spirit i'm killing your family like no he's making max like suffer like mm-hmm. i'm going to pick your family off one by one and let you like feel this like i'm gonna take your sister and then we're gonna take your cousin and then we're gonna come you know and it's like planting all these things in the snowman and so it's like it's it's dark to me because it's not only it's not the home alone thing where he just wakes up and like i made my family disappear and they're just all gone and it takes him a while to like oh i miss them it's like Mm -hmm. he's seeing them disappear one by one and he's seeing them suffer and he's seeing them get hurt and seeing how his family is reacting to each other in this loss one by one and that's just brutal because he he knows that he did this. And yeah, that's, I was going to say that's that's, that's never that's in really question. That's never yeah. in question either. It's never like I think Omi. I don't even know if she like he says like oh this is my fault, and she gives him a hug. But I don't even know if she's like no, it's not. It's no, like, she doesn't. No, you. It is your fault. <laughs> like <laughs> she, I'm. I mean, he he's he's like I think this is my fault, and mm-hmm. that's. The, the, he just sits in that. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's what really kind of brings a lot of the poignancy is that he he knows immediately why this is happening. And I mean, it, this movie has a, a large, it's the dark side of the Christmas wish. Yeah. Like so often it's like, oh, there's a Christmas star and we wish on the Christmas star and everything's going to be okay and blah, blah, blah. And this movie, no, this is a be careful what you wish for. This is the Christmas monkey's paw. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you've unleashed the demon and now you've got to reckon with that. Yeah. And I think that's something too that surprised me the first time I watched it. Like when Beth disappeared, I was like, well, that can't be it for her. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she's going to come back. He's going to find her. He's going to save yeah. her. Right. And I just appreciate that this film has the balls to be like, oh no, she's gone. Yeah. She's gone. You're not going to see her till the finale. Sorry. And even okay, so we have to talk about this finale because even then to. you see her. I have thoughts. But do you? So yes, I want to know. So at the very end, you know, Max confronts Krampus. Krampus hands him the Krampus ball wrapped up in the remnants of this Christmas letter that he wrote to Santa when he kind of, you know, cast his Christmas spirit out towards the wind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Max is telling him, like, I want my family back. I take it back. I was wrong take me instead i just bring my family back and it's kind of it's also that kind of that classic horror thing right like i'm taking my power back from you like you have no control over me and you know freddy krueger disappears and you know nancy wins the day because she doesn't give him that power but here krampus is like i don't give a fuck dude like it's too late (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's not how this works and ultimately we see Max fall into this hell pit and disappear with the rest of his family. But then he wakes up and it's Christmas and mm-hmm. everybody's fine. And, but then we see that they're in a snow globe in what I, we can believe to be like Krampus's little workshop, his little hobbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't, I still don't fully know what to make of this. I don't know if I actually really care that much, but I'm curious, like, what did you make of this? I think it, the based on the filmmaking and what the filmmaking is telling us, mm-hmm. uh, these people are trapped here. Um, there is no escape from yeah. this. Um, 
And I think that for a few reasons, one right before Krampus throws him into the hell pit, he Max says, I just wanted Christmas to be like it used to be. Right. And so then he gets chucked into the hell pit with where all his family has presumably gone up to this point. And he wakes up in his bed on Christmas morning. Happy, wonderful Christmas morning. Uh, runs downstairs. Family is happy. And no one seems to be reckoning with what happened the night before. Right. Everyone's there, but you're like, oh, was this just a dream? Are we doing the Alice in Wonderland ending? Um, but he sits down and everyone starts opening presents and you get kind of the, you know, the happy Christmas music going through like the end of Home Alone when the family comes rushing through the door. And then he opens his present, which is the Krampus bell. Yeah. Um, and at that moment, everybody stops talking and just stares at this bell. And it's almost like a light's going off and everyone is remembering what they just went through. Like that. And then we start getting the quotes from the movie, like, oh, nothing bad can happen on Christmas. And the last thing you hear before we get that zoom out of the snow globe is Omi's line. Krampus comes not to reward, but to punish. And then and then we get that close up on Santa Claus and that happy Andrew's sisters version of um, Santa Claus is coming to town. And then we slowly pull out. And as we pull out, the look the looks on everyone's faces have not changed they're still absolutely like terrified by what's going on i think if this is a happy ending then they're all like oh that's weird who got you that ha ha, ha. and they all go mm-hmm. back to opening but but no they stay in that horror and then we pull out and we're in the snow globe in krampus's workshop and then this movie does the cheapest stupidest thing that i hate when horror movies do and like all the Oh, the you, creatures last, like jump at the back. Yeah, that last jump scare. I hate that. I hate that. It is cheap. I don't it like is. it. Only one movie has ever used that well to my thinking, and that is uh, Scott Derrickson Sinister. Mm, oh God, yeah. The, the rest of them can fuck right off. Um, but no, I mean, again, based on the filmmaker, based on what the filmmaker is telling us, that's that has to be the ending of this film. Like they are trapped in here. This is this is their prison. This is. Like he wanted Christmas to be how it used to be. Like mm-hmm. first you wanted to make your family disappear. Look, dude, I was willing to do that for you. Oh, mm-hmm. but now you just want Christmas to be like it used to be. That's what you want now. Okay. Then that's what you get. Yeah. And now you will get Christmas just like it used to be. Yeah. And the, and the bell is just like, I mean, Omi even says like, he left me behind as a reminder, right. As like right. proof of what happens when you lose your Christmas spirit. And mm-hmm it's just so dark to think that max is that reminder and he's just going to be condemned to just realize that every day forever mm-hmm. that he condemned his family to death and he's i mean i think i i took it as like he's the only one he thought it was you know he had this dream and everybody else had no idea what happened he's the only one that kind of is like wait did it happen and i think ha- you has I think to realize you, that over it, and over again <laughs> I think it starts that way, but then as soon as that bell comes out, that it's clearly that's not the case anymore. Oh, yeah, and, and I think that's kind of there's another popular theory that they think that oh he you know they were all given a second chance and the snow globe like Krampus is what like keeping his eye on them like okay you're getting another chance you lose your spirit again and I'm coming after you but I think that's a very I mean like I like yes it's very hopeful but I also think that this film is having so much fun exploring that kind of darker morality, like 
keep your spirit or else. And so, yeah, I think that this family is fucked. And yeah, I don't, I don't think this, I don't think this movie earns a happy ending. And I don't think the mm-hmm. filmmaking is telling us that this is a happy ending. Like, yeah. again, this is, this is, again, if if it is a happy ending, then they're like, oh, that's weird. Who, where'd you get that? Ha <laughs> ha. And everyone goes back to opening presents again, or hey, should right. we hang that on the tree? Like, but that we don't, we just sit in that terror on everybody's face that 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 dawning encroaching realization that something really fucked is going on mm-hmm. um and i think that's why we have to we have to go with the more dour cynical ending because that's what the film that's what the film is telling us yeah but what but I, what i think is impressive is the fact that it doesn't feel mean it Mm-mm. doesn't feel like it still feels like there's like a wink wink not you know like it still has it maintains this air of self-awareness and humor about it where like mm-hmm. no this, this and, and i think that's the vagary of what's happening helps with that because right. it's not like telling you because like i i'm not always a fan of like a super depressing dark like the lodge or something that just like oh i ugh, how am i supposed to like finish the rest of my day you know? right <laughs> where yeah. it's like a, just a gut punch like it doesn't feel like that like mm-hmm. it i think that the vagary of it allows you like allows us to have these conversations where exactly. it's like if you want to take it as like a you know they were given a second chance kind of thing you can but you can also kind of lean into the darker side of things if you're able to do that so i think that was really smart and just their way of kind of playing into those deeper darker ideas of the morality even harder um and i think that that's really fun i think it's ambiguous enough that if you want to read if you want to read a a particular one particular ending over the other i think yeah yeah which i i do understand like some people it feels like a cop-out it feels like it's too vague it feels like what how does that make any sense i love an ambiguous ending i kind of do too especially when i feel like there's it's it's ambiguous because it's meant to be ambiguous it's ambiguous because that actually makes it a more interesting film it's not ambiguous because they didn't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. i don't feel like that was the issue here i don't think that it was ambiguous because the studio thought oh you can't do that which which may be be the case it very well may be the case but I, i don't know and haven't read anything that states that um so this does me, not feel like a studio note of an ending actually this mm-hmm. this feels like an original concept brought to screen like this yeah. this does not feel like someone going i don't know maybe a little like because it because it is in keeping with everything up to this point it's not like a hard shift into and everything's better now like which is usually right. what a studio note would be yes so I, I yeah it works for me but i also understand why it doesn't necessarily work for everybody right. um and I, every time I watch it, I try to figure it out more and more. And then I think, you know, that's part of the fun, I think, is just like, <laughs> where I do mean, I stand this year? What what ending am I going with? Where am I at? Part of why <laughs> I wanted to rewatch it today was so that I could pay closer attention to the ending, which I did. And that's how I, that, that's why I was able to, so, because I just watched it like 10 minutes, 20 minutes before we started recording. Yeah. Uh, watched that ending. And so I was able to like parse all the different beats. And I was like, okay based on what this film is saying and what is has shown me this has to be the ending yeah because i was i was open to either one i was like these are the two popular theories let's see which one's right based on the filmmaking i think it has to be the first one but that's yeah killed babies killed adorable build dogs Krampus Mm -hmm. killed babies just brutal um do you think that they 
he transported the whole family into his little like snow globe land and then killed I them do. all. Okay. I was going to say, or do you think he actually went to that neighborhood and now people are going to come back after their holidays and be like, what the fuck happened here? Where did the, like, where- I, I, I mean, I, I, you might argue that the world as it exists from the moment that note gets scattered to the wind onward. Cause like you said, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe the fam, the entire family was transported there first. It's, it's kind of how I read driver. it. <laughs> right. And the DHL. Yeah. Maybe after the DHL driver, but um, maybe after he, maybe once, I don't know, but yeah. So every, everyone is, that's kind of where everyone is. And then he transports him to another snow globe where happy Christmas is happening. I don't know that there's, there's lore enough here that I would want to see another movie exploring more of the, more of the Krampus lore as it exists within this film. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Cause I mean, all it takes is, you know, just somebody having a, a bad time and denying Santa, right. Or denying the Christmas spirit. So Krampus can come anywhere. So absolutely. It's, it's like predator. You can put him anywhere at any time exactly i would be yeah i would be here for it even like a super futuristic like cityscape like krampus could be really fun um you could do a prequel with omi's family i know yeah i did really like that that little break and i think it was smart to make it that you know sort of i know it's just digital but that like claymation style very almost rankin and bass adjacent like Mm -hmm. all those classic uh classic old stop motion cartoons yeah yeah Okay, so we, we've been talking about this for a while, and what 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 do you think about this movie now? Are you going to watch it next year? Is it in your Christmas like lineup? What do you? Think? I don't know if it's going to. I'm not. I'm not one of those people. that's like, well, I have to watch these things every year. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, Gremlins and Die Hard. That's pretty much the extent of my list. It's fair. But um, but no, I'm I'm definitely more like I was kind of mixed to positive and now i'm i feel more more firmly positive on this but at the end of at the end of the day just kind of as we've talked through this movie i'm you know picking out the themes and the things that this movie does really well and i think it it works on a level that few films do that it manages to both be poignant and fun and so film so few films actually manage to ride that line and, and take that balance and this film is doing a lot and I quite like what it's doing. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely pro uh pro Krampus now. So yay. All right. We're gonna call that a day then and get out while I'm still ahead because yeah, I love the, <laughs> I love this film. I love taking it for what it is and just marveling in the just insanity and the effects and the performances. And it's I just let it wash over me. And I'm not gonna think too hard about some of those other things and i still think i I think it's fun and so if you haven't seen it in a while and had mixed feelings i would urge people to go back because see steven liked it more um so go back and think about maybe some of the things that we said and hopefully we can you know get you in the krampus spirit um but before we go do you have anything to plug steven like what's going on with disenfranchised yeah so we are doing where we usually in the past few years we've done a christmas episode or a holiday episode um and this year we decided fuck it let's just do all the black christmases because black christmas is really just the gift that keeps on giving it's an entire franchise composed entirely of starters yeah uh so that kind of makes it perfect fodder for us uh ariel joined us uh that episode will be coming out this week uh, to talk about Black Christmas 2006. Next week, we've got uh, Nicole Goble on to talk um, Black Christmas 2019. Uh, and then we're, we're going to finish out the year talking about um, the 
biggest failed franchise starter from this year, uh, The Flash. So a movie that both failed that to start and killed an entire fr- yeah. My my co-hosts have actually seen it and they're actually excited to talk about it. I have not seen it and I I don't want to, but I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, and and then next year we're we're kicking off uh, January after a bye week. We're gonna do um, some Stephen King adaptations, including uh, Christine. So. Oh. So my queen yeah right. you should Amazing. you should come on and talk christine with us rachel love to anytime that's yeah, one of my all-time favorites um well, that sounds amazing. And for the pod and the pendulum, don't worry. We've got more fun Christmas stuff coming. Um, we also just had an episode on Silent Night 2021. And then this one, obviously. And we're going to ride out the year with some Christmas stuff. And I don't know if it's been announced. So I'm not going to spoil anything. But we've got... Mike, Mike has been on it we've got the whole next year planned the wheel patrons, has... patrons already know what's up okay so patrons already know the wheel has spoken i i can't wait all, but all, we are all the... we are going to start with the universal frankensteins that's first on the docket for 2024 and that's going to be and... i mean i'm just ha- i'm so excited for brian brian's just going to have a blast he's going to have so much fun i'm i'm so excited to learn so much from him because mm-hmm. this is i've seen a few of them and you know, I know some general things, but he's just like a true expert in in yeah. that in that field, and so I'm really excited to to learn so much more about those films. And the year's not going to like like we're starting on a high note, and I feel like it's just going to keep going with all the franchises that we're covering, and all very different. So there's definitely something for everybody. So stay tuned to that. And um, like you heard, we have a Patreon. And there's lots of fun stuff happening over there. Lots of side episodes, different kind of styles of episodes, different films. and Not necessarily horror. Yeah, too. like just all sorts of fun stuff. And you get to know things ahead of the time, like stuff that I don't think I can even say here about on the main feed. So check out our Patreon. Um, give us a follow at Pod and Pendulum. And make sure to rate, review, subscribe. You guys, it matters. Give us a Christmas gift, a little Christmas gift um, with five stars or something would be amazing. And uh, thanks for sticking with me. Again, I'm Rachel Reeves. Mike Snoodian will be back. You can also catch me on the Losers Club podcast and the Halloweenies and the Girls on the Boys, uh, where we talk about the Amazon Prime series, The Boys. And you can also catch me here on the Pod and so I'll be back. And Man, Rachel, you're everywhere. I yeah, it's it's a sickness. I don't know what to say. I just really <laughs> like movies, you guys. It's um, the hardest working lady in show business or in podcasting is what you are. God, something like that. But okay. So we're gonna go. So thank you everybody for listening, and we hope you have an incredible horror day season. And we'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.